Hi all, welcome back to another podcast. Today it's just a solo pod where I'm going to go in-depth on all things Arsenal. Now this will include a bit on Mikel Arteta and why I'm excited because we have a special coach on our hands, his preferred system and any potential signings to be made. Firstly, let's address the elephant in the room. We just missed out on top four this season to Tottenham of all teams. That Bergwijn brace at the King Power Stadium will always haunt me. And everything was going swimmingly well until that Selhurst Park game where it was announced Kieran Tierney was injured on international duty, which went on to be for the rest of the season. And Thomas Partey also picked up a season-ending injury. So essentially, two of Arteta's most important cogs were taken out of the team. And with their replacements in Sambi Laconga and Nuno Tavares still being quite raw and inexperienced, we were really paying the price for a couple of heavy injuries. Now, whilst most fans will say missing out on Champions League football is career-defining for Arteta and puts the likes of Spurs and Chelsea above us for years to come, since they'd now get the upper hand in recruitment, etc., I don't necessarily agree with this take. Arteta's project has been gathering serious momentum for some time now, and it's on the cusp of exploding. Yes, perhaps no Champions League football means Arsenal won't be able to attract the same level of talent as top clubs in the world including the likes of Serge Gnabry, but I trust enough in Arteta's talent identification and skills as a manager to take us forward. Arsenal still holds a lucrative pull, with many of the current young generation growing up as Arsenal fans in awe of Thierry Henry, Burkamp, and many more Arsenal legends. Let's not forget we managed to lure Thomas Partey from Atletico Madrid, who just won the La Liga with them, and he says the main reason he came was Arteta's persuasiveness and him being an Arsenal fan. This was also in a season without Champions League football, so it's no surprise players are still keen to join. Mikel Arteta inherited a team of ageing players who walked all over Arsenal's previous managers in Arsene Wenger and Unai Emery, and it was becoming a very toxic atmosphere. Slowly, Arteta has identified these toxic influences and tried to obtain some value out of them until the point where they do more harm than good. Now we've seen the likes of Mesa Ozil, Gwenduzi, Kalazinec, Mustafi, Socrates and most famously Aubameyang all offloaded and while some of these players had phenomenal levels of ability they just didn't work hard enough and undermine the manager in the dressing room. Take Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool for example, arguably one of if not the most successful rebuild ever when he inherited a pretty average Liverpool squad the majority of the players, however, were hard-working, positive influences. Roberto Firmino, Felipe Coutinho, Adam Lallana. No one thought they were bigger than the club. Arteta was brought in to try and rebuild Arsenal, and three years in, people like to mock the phrase, trust the process, but it's evident Arsenal are on an upwards trajectory, and Mikel Arteta is a big reason for this. Arteta's appointment, maybe fortunately, coincided with the Kroenke family managing to increase their stake in Arsenal Football Club from just a majority stake to 100% ownership. In spite of the thoughts of many Arsenal fans, I think the Kroenkes are the right owners to take us forward. They've shown in the NFL with the LA Rams they know how to build a sports club and take them to silverware, and Josh Kroenke's Sky Sports interview was particularly impressive and reassuring as an Arsenal fan. He even explained the lack of funding before they obtained full ownership was because before no other stakeholders were investing any money, but all profits were still split, so they weren't receiving as much value on return, and all the risk laid with them. 
Another thing in their favour is our ownership is not reliant on one single figurehead, and they come from America, which is pretty safe, economically speaking. So, all the controversy surrounding Roman Abramovich at Chelsea is arguably less likely to happen to the Cronkies, because there's a family in place. So, even if Stan Kroenke was, God forbid, assassinated or imprisoned, Josh Kroenke would be in place to take over, and so I think Arsenal are in safe hands. Since their full takeover, they've splashed out 50 million plus on singular players like Nicola Pepe, Aubameyang, Ben White, and I'm sure there'll be more names on that list. They clearly trust Mikel Arteta as the right man to take them forward, and the fact they rewarded him with a new contract after a poor run shows how much faith they have in him. I unfortunately expect Arteta to take over from Pep once he decides to leave City, so I'm happy we've nailed Mikel down to a longer contract because his previous contract was going to run out the same summer as Pep's City one, which would be very scary indeed. The main thing going against Arteta is his lack of a CV. If, say, Conte or Pep or Klopp was in a similar position to him, there'd be less of a worry because they have credentials and trophies to back up their managerial skills. Arteta lacks this, but this does not make him a poor manager. When Mikel Arteta retired as a player, Arsene Wenger, Pep Guardiola and Maurizio Pochettino all offered him a role in their coaching teams at Arsenal, Man City and Spurs. He ended up with Pep at City, which is arguably the best form of footballing education a coach can receive. This was by no means a fluke either. Most of those who played with Mikel Arteta identified him as a player who would go on to be a successful manager. Robin Van Persie said it was inevitable. He has since won us some silverware and shown he can be adaptable to make a system which comfortably dominates weaker opposition and switch to a more pragmatic style against the top six. During his time at City, Arteta and Pep had such a great chemistry working together. Arteta was often credited with the development of Leroy Sane and Raheem Sterling, two top-class wingers. When Sane moved to City, Arteta spoke vividly about how he needed time to adapt as he was one of these wingers who tries to hit top speed all of the time, and he pointed out the importance of controlling sprints and mixing up acceleration levels to improve unpredictability. This is the sort of language Arteta is also often used to describe Arsenal winger Gabriel Martinelli, but more on this later. Sane was used to running into space in the Bundesliga, but at City he had to be coached to play in tighter spaces against low blocks. By his second season, he was tearing it up in the Premier League. Arteta must have learned so much from Pep, and it's plausible to suggest Pep would have learned a thing or two from Mikel. It's clear that Mikel's ideal system and structure he is working towards is incredibly similar to the system Pep has built. The similarity in the profile of players is staggering, and shows how good Arteta's talent identification really is. Take Aaron Ramsdale for example. Arteta specifically requested him because a keeper who is comfortable with the ball and can play out from the back is integral to his system and is his main mechanism in scoring from back to front. His line-breaking distribution and ability to sweep up when we play a high line is so important in Arsenal being able to sustain pressure and keep opponents in their own half. He's also important in countering opposition's pressing structures by taking multiple men out of play and starting off attacks. All you need to do is look at a goal like Lacazette's at home to Southampton this season or Aubameyang's goal in the North London derby for examples of this 
and this was something Bernd Leno was unable to do in goal for us, which crippled Arsenal for years, despite his phenomenal shot-stopping abilities. Now the fact Arteta could pick out these qualities in Ramsdale, which were not too obvious from his time at Sheffield United, which he spent hoofing the ball up to two strikers, and not really playing up from the back, speaks volumes about how well he can identify talent. It also demonstrates what he values most in any position, technical ability. Some fans may think it's an outrageous statement to compare Aaron Ramsdale and Edison, but in reality there's not too much in it. Both are phenomenal with the ball at their feet and relative to Premier League standards are quite average at shot stopping. There aren't many times I can recall Edison making saves which win City games, but he's not in the team to do that. It's almost counterintuitive for a goalkeeper because he's in the team to use his superior ball playing abilities which means he's not required to make as many saves because both Arteta and Pep's systems rely on keeping the ball and not giving the opponents many chances inside the box. Last season, City conceded an average less than a big chance per game, which is a staggering stat. Edison lacks the stature of someone like Allison, who imposes himself really well, and unfortunately at the moment, Ramsdale is more similar to the former in Edison. Ramsdale's taller than most people think at 6'3", which does show there's much more to improve on with regards to shot-stopping if he can make himself look bigger and force attackers to take shots from worse angles. It's why at the moment I would have Pickford over Ramsdale for England. Ramsdale is so, so well-suited to our system, but of course, Southgate doesn't opt for this system. Anyway, this is for another podcast. Arteta also pushed for Tommy Asu over Emerson Royale and Spurs fans were delighted on deadline day when they signed Brazilian Emerson Royale, but it's clear to see from this season we made the right decision in signing Tommy Asu, despite Spurs supposedly having first say of the two fullbacks. Now let's quickly go over Arteta's system, so currently he's opting for a 4-2-3-1 stroke 4-3-3 hybrid, but I expect this to look more like a 4-3-3, similar to Pep's for the upcoming season. Take our current first team of Ramsdale in goal, Tierney, Gabriel, White, Tomiyasu as the defence, Partey and Jacka with Odegaard in midfield and Saka and Martinelli flanking and Ketia up top. Tomiyasu acts as the inverted fullback, allowing Tierney to overlap and provide width down the left. Meanwhile, Tomiyasu's inverted position creates line-breaking passing opportunities from every other player behind Saka into him which allows Bakayo Saka to isolate his fullback 1v1 and tear them apart. Gabriel acts as the leadership profile for the defence, controlling the line and knowing when to drop and when to step up. Ben White has the ball playing capabilities as well as a freedom to maraud forward to play through some opposition's press. In the midfield, Xhaka and Partey partner together with Partey acting as more of a single pivot in a number six role, and Jacker will drift into and occupy almost a left-sided number eight position to help sustain pressure and make a difference in the final third with line-breaking passes. Odegaard's role is to link up the front four and create angles to rotate the ball and implement Arteta's patterns of play. Saka and Martinelli attack very directly, almost like an all-action inside forward, but sometimes in the build-up, Saka holds his width and creates for others. With Martinelli, Arteta would like him to slow his game down, 
He's still quite raw, but Jurgen Klopp famously lauded him as find or gem of the century. And Arsenal fans are very hopeful of his ability and potential. His instincts and explosiveness in particular are really exciting. Now, the main difference I anticipate for next season is a replacement for Gwenet Xhaka. Whilst Xhaka has been a great servant and massively improved under Arteta, the left centre mid role Mikel Arteta wants him to emulate is like Ilkay Gundogan's at City, so he'll be less needed in a double pivot, which is his preferred role, and he'd be required to get into the final third and help contribute more goals and assists. But because of his lack of mobility and agility, he's not actually the best in this role, so in my opinion there's no doubt Arteta will be looking to upgrade in this area. Enter Fabio Vieira and or Yuri Tielemans. Fabio Vieira's deal has been confirmed and it came out of the blue. Having never seen him play, over the past week I've tried to indulge in as much Fabio Vieira content and I must say Arteta's talent identification is coming in clutch yet again. I'm really excited about this signing. With Porto fans distraught at his sale and earning a rave of reviews at his time over in Porto, we could potentially have another Vieira Gemma our club. The most similar player to compare him to is Bernardo Silva, a nimble, left-footed number 10 who has such quick feet and high levels of technical ability, but the two actually differ profile-wise. Fabio Vieira was a lot more direct at Porto, but with such high levels of technical ability, we're yet to know whether Arteta plans to play him as a number 8 or as a number 10, which would lead to Odegaard dropping into the number 8 left-sided central midfielder role currently occupied by Granit Xhaka. If Yuri Tielemans came in, it's likely he would start the majority of the games in this left-centre mid-role, but this move is probably going to drag on until the end of the window and may even depend on whether Granit Xhaka finds a new home. Fabio Vieira averaged a goal or an assist every 67-68 to 68 minutes in the Portuguese league last year, which is a phenomenal number, and he replaced Luis Diaz in the Porto setup once Luis Diaz went to Liverpool in January. The encouraging signs about Vieira are that he's captained this Porto side at the age of 21, which speaks volumes for his character and leadership, and I'm sure his attitude will be infectious. But also his abilities on his weaker right foot particularly stand out, given left-footed players' tendencies to be rather one-footed. His creative abilities and wicked ball striking make me think he's going to be a statement signing at the Emirates, and certainly one to watch over the next season. My other gut feeling is that he can create something out of nothing. In the Champions League against Liverpool, he was twisting and turning in what was a nothing attack and then put the ball onto his right foot and set it up on a plate for his teammate. Especially in the Premier League, coming up against compact low blocks or teams that park the bus, you only tend to find half spaces in deep areas. These are the sorts of areas I anticipate Vieira will be able to pick the ball up and create a big chance of out of nothing from. Currently, Odegaard is our number 10, and he's more traditional and conservative with regards to his pass selection, and that's no slight on Odegaard. It just means in particular games, he may struggle to take it by the scruff of the neck, and that's where Vieira can step in, which bodes well for Arsenal and fuels healthy competition. These players who create chances out of nothing are invaluable in football, and all the top teams have them. City have KDB, Liverpool have Trent, Chelsea have Rhys James, Spurs have Kane, and many more. 
They're virtually impossible to defend against and unplayable on their day. Vieira has the skill set to play at both number 8 and number 10, so Arteta has the ability to mould him into whichever he prefers, and we can see from all Arteta signings that he has made or is planning to make that he favours two things, incredible standards of technical ability and versatility. This brings me on to another one of his expected signings in Gabriel Jesus. Now, respected journalists say this deal is now a matter of when, not if, for a fee of 45 million, including add-ons. Gabriel Jesus is a player Mikel Arteta worked with at Man City, who again is very versatile in the sense he can play both as a number nine and provide cover on the wings. His non-penalty goals and assists per 90 rate is the third highest in Premier League history at 0.9, which is higher than current Golden Boot winner Mo Salah's 0.88, and just slightly behind two of the all-time greats in Thierry Henry and Aguero at 0.91, which shows that even when he's managed to get on the pitch at City, he's had a phenomenal output. Gabriel Jesus' profile is that of a runner who presses with super high intensity and he likes to get in behind rather than come to feet, even though he can do both. His ability to be an outlet is something Arsenal lacked all season when Lacazette was up top. He brings Premier League experience at the age of 24, so he's not even in his prime yet. He knows how Arteta's positional play works more or less given the similarities to Pep and he's worked with Mikel before and will be joining an ever-growing Brazilian group with Gabriel Martinelli, Gabriel Magalhaes, Marquinhos and the Portuguese-speaking group as well of now recently joined Fabio Vieira, Nuno Tavares, Cedric. All of these attributes for a reasonable price of 45 million. He's complete in many aspects and if he's able to take it to the next level, we could have a top, top player on our hands. Now, it appears our two striker options for next season will be Jesus and Eddie Nketiah. Nketiah is a player who is disliked by a large section of the fan base and underrated by most rival fans, so I'll try and make the case for why we were right to keep him. There's no doubt he struggled to find game time over the past couple of seasons under Mikel, but the form he found himself in at the end of the season even made Mikel openly admit Eddie Nketiah is one player he has made a mistake with and perhaps could have turned to him sooner in the campaign. He's 23 years old and there's no striker in Europe who runs with his level of intensity at his age, which is a huge threat and his solo goal at Stamford Bridge demonstrates this. Combine his intensity with decent link-up play, being a phenomenal athlete, good technical quality, good instincts in the box and positioning to find space, decent in the air, can strike the ball cleanly and consistently. In transition, him and the likes of Saka and Smith-Rowe have all worked great together, which is a testament to the talent we've been able to produce out of Hayland. He has so many qualities and I expect him to have numerous opportunities next season to prove himself. I reckon he's a striker worth at least 30 million in the current market, which would have been criminal to let go for free. The one question this leaves me with is our lacking of a physical playmaker profile. Now it's been evident ever since Arteta came in, he's been after that physical playmaker up top. So many links to Tammy Abraham and Dominic Calvert-Lewin last summer. Even this summer I've seen links to Victor Osimhen at Napoli and Skamaka 
and we pushed so hard for Vlahovic in January. I'm intrigued to see what Arteta plans to do, and Ketia's performances probably threw a spanner in the works in this regard. Now, I would have loved to see Osman at the Emirates. He'd be my number one target, but with Napoli asking for in excess of £85 million, this just seems like a deal that can't be done. I expect Nketiah and Jesus will be enough, and I'm intrigued by what called for this change in plan from Mikel Arteta. Now, back to the signings. We've been strongly, strongly linked to Rafinha, a Leeds' winger, and I think he would be a phenomenal addition to the squad. He fits a rare profile of being able to play the right-hand side inverted winger, which is integral to the Huego de Position structure. Now, this structure is favoured and adopted by whom I think are the most elite managers in the world. Vardiola, Klopp, Tuchel, Nagelsmann, Arteta, Ten Hag, they all adopt this. And it's a very complex and idealistic structure, which takes coaches' time to implement and discipline the players by teaching them rigidity in tactics, but ultimately reaps the rewards in trophies, especially leagues. You take a look at any of these managers' systems, and they're all somewhat similar, but there's not an abundance of profiles which fit this role that Arteta wants, which means Saka had to be played whenever he was fit last year. Rafinha's addition will ease some of the burden off him, and Rafinha is also able to play on the left at times, and so is Saka, which provides further competition to Martinelli and ESR for that role. The way Rafinha glides with the ball and is able to create from wide areas is invaluable, and he also has wicked ball striking. He'd be another Brazilian, Portuguese-speaking signing who would bring a lot of excitement to Arsenal fans. Meanwhile, Saka grew up in the academy as a left winger and has also played left back and left central midfield at times. So in terms of the angles and patterns of play he's used to, I sense more comfortability and consistency with him from the left, even though he can be devastating on the right as well. In my eyes, I put him above someone like Riyad Mahrez, which is probably a bit of a hot take. And of course, he has tremendous output and ball striking. But as he's getting on a bit and getting older, he no longer has that same burst of pace to go inside and out around a fullback. He tends to just drift inside, which is still difficult to stop, don't get me wrong, but Saka is almost a, a unicorn in that aspect. He can go both ways, and he won a number of games for us last year because we gave Saka a favourable 1v1 matchup. The way he's able to carry the ball, drive with it, he's also really developed his weak foot to a really high standard, so when Tomiyasu inverts and creates the passing lane from Party or White to Saka, Saka's developed on his ability to let the ball run across his body and take a touch with consistency on his right foot. This means defenders struggle to get close to him because he can push it onto his right and go around the outside, but then if they back off and give him space he can be devastating. The only concern I have is his ball striking at times off the right, but his end product and output have massively improved, achieving 18 goals and assists in the league last season, which for a 20-year-old is incredible, and I expect this to improve even further as Arsenal become better as a unit and have an actual striker up top. Nonetheless, you can tell his core strength has improved massively too since his debut, He's now able to ride challenges a lot better and there's a clip of him in England training a couple weeks ago riding a challenge from Trent Alexander-Arnold and then Kyle Walker and striking the ball with conviction into the bottom corner which is a great example of this. 
So, Rafinha, Vieira, Jesus, and maybe if we signed Tielemans too, they'd add much-needed depth to the squad. Um, the last spot we could probably do with more depth in is at left-back, because as great as Kieran Tierney is, he's almost too explosive and is always going to pick up injuries, so we need to make sure we have a solid backup. Nuno Tavares excels in every physical aspect, but he's still incredibly raw and poor with decision-making. And especially away from home, he can be a bit of a liability. So he could do with a loan away to aid his development, I think. That's why I think someone like Lissandro Martinez, who we've been strongly linked with as well, could be a quality signing, providing much needed cover at left back, but also an option at left centre back. Martinez played under Ten Hag at Ajax, so he knows what it's like to function in a Huego de position system and has played at left centre back, left back, even in a single pivot at CDM. What makes him so special is his technical quality. His agility and sharp turns are traits you'd find in normally an attacking midfielder, and his pass distribution is top-notch as well. Now, there's concerns over his aerial abilities, but he's not a liability in the air. He wins more aerial duels per 90 than his Ajax partner, Timber, and he's pocketed Haaland on many occasions because he reads the game well, and it's clear Arteta loves technical quality and versatility, and so Lissandro is yet another signing that fits the bill. And whilst he hasn't played left-back too often, he can play the role of an inverted full-back very well. There have also been links to Zinchenko, which would provide another form of versatility, but as a left centre mid this time, and a left-back, which is a slightly different profile to Lissandro, but given the similarities between Pep and Arteta's system, it's almost a risk-free signing if he were to join Jesus and make the switch to the Emirates. With Man City eyeing up Bryson's Cucurella, a deal for Zinchenko is there to be done. The other option mentioned at left-back is Aaron Hickey, who would follow in the footsteps of Tommy Asu in being another potential gem of a full-back from Bologna. He's two-footed, dynamic, tenacious, and could be acquired for a decent fee. It'll be interesting to see who we opt for, as I think it'll be one of Lissandro Zinchenko and Hickey. They're the three main candidates. Whilst he's technically not a new signing, William Saliba will definitely feel like one. It feels like his name has been thrown around for a few years now, having signed him, what, three years ago for 30 million, and he's still yet to make his debut. He went and won Young Player of the Year in League 1, which is a great achievement last season. Mikel Arteta's decision to send him out on loan was entirely justified since we had no European football and he wouldn't have even earned half the minutes he got at Marseille, which isn't a dig at him at all, it's just he's still very young and has areas he can still develop in. Saliba can play at both left centre-back, right centre-back and he can also play at right-back and his dominant presence and patience but incredible ball-playing abilities suggest he can play both as the conservative leader profile and the aggressive ball-playing profile and provide cover for both centre-back positions. However, I imagine Mikel Arteta will start to introduce him in at right centre-back, which is less mentally demanding, and statistically he finds himself in the 98th and 99th percentile for a lot of on-the-ball metrics from last season at Marseille. I'm really excited by the prospect of him finally getting some game time, and I anticipate him impressing a lot of people next season. His only real weakness may be aerial duels, but he has the physical presence and ability to improve on this, coming in at around 6'3", 6'4", 
and Ben White was picked out as being weak in the air, but he's come on leaps and bounds last season in this department, and I expect Saliba to follow a similar trajectory. Speaking of Ben White, his braveness on the ball helps us play out the press, he's technically secure, he's improved in aerial duels as the season has gone on, as I said, and I sense a similar trajectory to when Pep signed John Stones at City. You listen to his interviews as well. For a 24-year-old, he shows so much maturity and football intelligence. He excels at the sophisticated stuff crucial to Arsenal's playstyle, proactive defending and ball playing. Now, he got singled out first game of the season away at Brentford by Gary Neville, rather unfairly given it was his debut against an aerial prowess in Ivan Toney. And through the middle of the season, he was almost flawless, except towards the back end of the season in a Newcastle game, where he clearly wasn't fully fit. His aggressive front foot defending bailed the team out on several occasions. One thing I'd note, though, is teams have been more aware of his marauding runs and try and set up traps or plans to dispossess and then counter us in transition, because if he loses the ball, our system is unsettled. Now, I also wanted to talk about Thomas Partey and give him a shout-out because he's our single pivot who I believe is currently, joint with Saka, probably our most important player. In 2022, he put in colossal performances against Liverpool and City, who are the two best teams in the league, and actively forced Pep and Klopp to sub on Jesus and Firmino, respectively, in order to cut off passing lanes into him because he was dictating that much of the games. It's not often a team goes toe-to-toe with Man City, and Partey's dominance was a large reason for that. To be able to play this number six role, you need to be a special player who excels technically and physically. Partey came under criticism in his first season because he, as he said himself, put in some four out of ten performances. I think this is partly down to him struggling mentally, and the Premier League can take players time to adapt. However, in 2022, until he picked up his injury, he was almost flawless and his injury is a large reason why we missed out on top four. We were so reliant. In my opinion, for us to have a great season, Thomas Partey will be integral to this. If he was able to start 35 games in the league, I genuinely think we have a good chance of coming third in the league, which would be a huge achievement. If you just look at some stats with when he started and didn't start last season... In 23 games of him starting, we averaged 2.43 points per game, and without him in 15 games, we averaged just 0.87 points per game, which is a huge drop-off. Finally, I wanted to talk a little about Emil Smith-Rowe, probably my favourite player at Arsenal. The way he carries the ball, there's so much elegance and technical quality, but he's actually a very solid physical athlete as well. He can cut in well, strike the ball cleanly, play on either wing at number 10, even as a false 9, Arteta said he can do. I expect him to perhaps transition into a deeper player, like a number 8, where his driving runs, quick feet, clean build-up play, they can all be even more impactful than he currently is. And as he improves his defensive awareness, I think he can really develop as a number 8, because the intensity is all there. Now, with all the signings I've mentioned... We should have two solid, solid options in every position. So you've got Aaron Ramsdale and Matt Turner, who will be our second-choice goalkeeper and probably play the cup matches. Then at right-back, you've got Tommy Asu, Cedric, and then Norton Cuffey, who is a very, very exciting talent, but he might go out on loan. And then we've also got White and Saliba, who can back up at right-back. 
Um, but for Norton Cuffey, he's so exciting. I think he has immense potential. So just keep that name in mind in case he goes out on loan because I have a lot of faith in him. Uh, left centre-back, there's Gabriel. And if we sign Lissandro Martinez, he could fill in there. Saliba and Tomias, who can also provide backup in this position. Then at left-back, we could have Tierney and, again, Lissandro Martinez. Or if we sign Zinchenko, then he'd be there, or Aaron Hickey, but it would only be one of those options. For the number six, lone pivot role, Thomas Partey and Lekonga, who I expect to grow again in his second season, and then Elneny can also play that role as a third option, and then as the more attack-minded number eight, if Tielemans comes in, then I think he'll, he can play there, Fabio Vieira can play there, Odegaard, and if Xhaka stays, he can play there, but I imagine it will be either Tielemans or Xhaka who stays in that spot and then out on the right we have Saka and Rafinha with Jesus also able to provide backup there. On the left we have Martinelli and Smith-Rowe and Saka and Rafinha can also play here and then in the number 10 role we have Odegaard, Fabio Vieira and again Emil Smith-Rowe with Jesus and Nketiah as the out and out number nines. This gives us serious depth in both quality and quantity and so if any player gets injured, we'll be less reliant compared to last season. In terms of expected transfers and signings, whether I think there's anyone else we should sign, if we get Jesus, Rafinha, Tielemans and Lissandro Martinez, as well as the Fabio Vieira signing, I think that's about all that's needed, to be honest. Those five signings are probably a 10 out of 10 window, and if we're unable to secure a deal for Rafinha, It'd be a dream of mine to see us bring Serge Gnabry back to the carpet, given he's a lifelong fan and still speaks about us with such fondness, but no Champions League has probably cost his signature, in all honesty. What Serge Gnabry provides is top ball striking, though. Incredible link-up play, explosiveness, team player. He's just a complete player, and he wants out of Bayern even turning down 300k per week offers because he's so determined to leave so it'll be interesting to see where he ends up i imagine a financial package for him would have been on the table had we qualified for the ucl but i hope there'll be an opportunity down the line to explore signing him as previously mentioned i'm a huge fan of ossimans and even someone like skamaka could have done very well in our system but i have full faith in Mikel arteta and his talent identification because it's quality and he knows what he's doing now, in terms of other players who we've had vague links to and I quite like the look of, there's Evan and Dicker at left centre-back, who's currently at Frankfurt. He's a six-foot-four, powerful centre-back, comfortable with the ball, good acceleration, great in the air, all available for a pretty reasonable fee of around £30 million. But the only thing is, the limited budget, it may be a signing we make a season or two from now, or we may opt for Lissandro Martinez due to his versatility since he can competently play left-back and number six as well for us. I really liked the look of Southampton's Tony Livramento, and I'm confident he would have been targeted this summer, but unfortunately he just picked up a long-term ACL injury a couple months back, so I think that plan's now scuppered. And other than that, those five players I mentioned, I think it ticks all boxes for squad depth and quality, and these players also offer so much more intensity which will especially help away from home, given we had the third best home form in the league and sixth best away form. It's clear we were weaker away from home. 
this increased intensity will make us a nightmare for opposition to play against and hopefully turn the Emirates into a bit of a fortress. I think our home and away form, especially our away form, will improve as the years go on. Everyone in our current crop of players is going to hit their prime abilities together and slowly the errors which happen because of inexperience and lack of game sense will be eradicated. Gabriel will hold the high line with more braveness in the future and our youngsters, Saka, Smithrow, Martinelli, they'll exude more confidence with the ball and this group will peak together. I honestly think it's a very special squad. It's without a shadow of a doubt the most optimistic I've ever felt about Arsenal and the best squad I think we've had since I started supporting the club. In terms of outgoings, I think it's time for Nicola Pepe to go, sadly. His signing has been a bit of a flop and it reminds me of Endombele to Spurs. Both players are exceptionally talented but very, very lazy who don't apply themselves correctly and this breeds inconsistency which you can't rely on at the top level. If we can try and recoup... 25, 30 million for Pepe off the 70 we paid. I think that would be ideal and would free up much needed wages. Leno is also on high wages and will leave this summer, so hopefully we can get another 5 or 10 million for him. He's a great shot stopper, but his distribution and sweeping crippled Arteta's system. It appears Maitland Niles will also go, another player who's very lazy but has so much talent, so. If another manager is able to tap into this and get him to work hard, he could be exceptional too. All in all, these three signings should raise us upwards of £35 million, which would be a much-needed bonus. Now, where do I think we'll finish next season? If we complete all five of the main signings, that's, as I said, a 10 out of 10 window and surely puts us in contention for third place, if Partey is also able to stay fit because I think Liverpool and City are in another league, so unless there's a shock injury or a strange situation that pops up, they'll almost definitely be the top two. And I expect it to be very tight with Spurs this season, but perhaps the season after that is where our young squad will start to pull away. They were inexperienced through a lot of last season, but with every game they're getting more and more confident, and hopefully they will develop into mentality monsters. It will still be a tough season if Ten Hag brings his ideal philosophies over, Manu will get better, Chelsea are going to sign some wide outlets, will improve their system and Spurs are going to generally strengthen and give Conte money to spend. So essentially you've got four top teams fighting for two spaces. Let's hope the Cronkies back Mikel, which they've done for a while now, and Arteta can finally prove his doubters wrong about what a special manager he is. I'm expecting rival fans to underestimate us, but with improved quality and squad depth, it leaves Arsenal fans with a lot to be excited about. Thanks for listening.